Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you all again for being here tonight at Bellwether. This is our, our Wednesday night service that we call Equip because we want to be here to equip you all in the middle of a week. And I know, again, some of you all are running in, probably got business or relationships or things on your mind. And we want to be centered at the center of our week on what's most important, uh, Jesus uh, and His grace that flows over us all that we're going to see and celebrate in a baptism. So thank you all for being here. Listen, uh, I have uh, three boys, as some of you all know. The youngest is, I lose count, he's right back there. Uh, he is uh, 21 months. And he... Uh, he doesn't do this every night, but he's been doing it every night pretty regularly recently. He cries out for mommy. Now, uh, and I love, you know, Ethan, but he is crying out for mommy. He'll wake up, and he won't know if anybody's there. It's a dark room, middle of the night, and we'll hear, mommy, 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 over and over again, mommy, mommy, mommy. Now, if I go in there, he'll stop, even though I'm not mommy, but he will keep, you know, crying until someone goes in and loves on him or says, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm present, I don't say that, but you know, that he knows that there is a presence in the room. And so I'd ask all of y'all, there are a couple of questions I want to start off with tonight. But as I'm asking these questions, turn to Jeremiah 31 and 2 Corinthians 3. So just listen to him as you're flipping through two passages. First will be Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament, 2 Corinthians 3 in the New. But I want to ask y'all that, uh, who do you cry out to? Who do you cry out to? I mean, I know we're all mainly adults, or we think we're adults here, but I believe, and I've seen, uh, that many of us cry out. We, we cry out to somebody. Who is it? Is it a friend? Is it your spouse? Is it your child, your children? Uh, we cry out without even explicitly or even verbally crying out because we are human beings uh, with needs of people being present in our lives. But who do you cry out to? Do you cry out to God? Actually, that's one big reason why we were created, to cry out for Him. Another question I'd have you all think about, and this is a big one for us Southerners, who are your people? Or who's your people? Ms. Gwenda loves that. I can't say it like you, the Southerners, but you know, who, who's your people? Uh, because for us, uh, that matters, uh, maybe more so than, than other people around the world, who our people are. What's our heritage? Who raised us? Uh, I'm fascinated by genealogy, ancestors, all that, and I think many of y'all are too. But we have this desire in us to know like, who we came from, who, who our folks are. You know, and, and maybe we see similarities, maybe we see a lot we don't like honestly. But we want to know. We want to know from, from whom did we come from. And William Faulkner uh, had to read him. Didn't necessarily understand him, but had to read him in college. You know, he didn't make a great quote. He said, he said uh, the, uh, the past is not dead. The past is not even past, meaning that our, our past is alive. Now, now, Christianity completely refutes that, but we'll give Mr. Faulkner, his credit. Who are your people? Who do you want to know? Who's your heritage? 
And then the last question I'd ask of you, to think about at least, where is home for you? I mean, really think, where is home? What is home for you? Home doesn't have to be a, uh, a house. It can be a place. Another, throw out the, the great Mississippi authors, Eudora Welty. She said the most important thing for a, Miss Gwenda, su- southerner, uh, most important thing for a southerner is a sense of place. And that is so true. It's tied to our people. It's tied to knowing there's a presence there. So where's home for you? You know, I could be anywhere or live anywhere all around the world, and there would be a special place. It's called Darden Lake. Some of y'all have been there. we got a family cabin, small cabin. Ain't nothing big to write home about. Just a small little cabin. I mean, one bathroom, two bedrooms. But I was raised there in the summer, like on the water, uh, with boats, growing up with cousins, nieces, nephews now. And I could be anywhere and that place, I told mom and dad, we ain't never selling this place because it, it matters so much in my life. There's another place, and this is, uh, we have a farm. It's not a big farm, but it's the same county. It's up in Myrtle, Mississippi. Anybody know where Myrtle is? I mean, you know where Myrtle is. I mean, it's like a, a hamlet in New Albany, and New Albany would be a hamlet for some folks. But Myrtle, Mississippi, we had a farm, and uh, it's hill country up there. I mean, hills of like 400, 500 feet. But, you know, that's, that's hill country for us. And uh, in this farm, it's, it's hilly, and, and I've walked, spent boyhoods walking through it. There's a pond there. Uh, we used to have a little cabin there until we destroyed it, kids and so. But now I go hunting there a lot. And there's a ridge on top of uh, this hill that's not our, in our farm or family property, and there's a, a cemetery there. But uh, my family, my dad's side, has a, has a, a burial ground. A lot there. I don't know if I'll be buried there, but I know my mom and dad have their place. But you can go to the cemetery, and I've had to go a lot with family. And it's on the top of the ridge. You can look out, and you can look west. You can see the sun going down and seeing, you know, our land. And it's got a lot of meaning to me, that sense of place. So it doesn't have to be like a house, but that's, that's home for me, or I think of that as home. I mean, now, honestly, 2311 East Northside Drive, uh, in our, our little house, I mean, is home and coming in and having the kids run up to me, that's, that's home. But where is, where is home for you? Where is home? Who do you cry out to? Who's your people? Where is home? Do you cry out to God? Uh, are your people or our people brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of the church home? Is that your people? Is your home wherever Jesus is? Wherever your church is? Is that home? Uh, one other story before we get into Jeremiah, but 14 years ago, I had um, the privilege, although it was not necessarily a privilege, it was really more just a good time, to be in New Zealand. Uh, anybody here been to New Zealand? New Zealand? Okay. Uh, you should go if you get an opportunity. The best thing I can say about New Zealand is in one day, and one day, the morning, we hiked a glacier, and then we jogged through a rainforest and ended up on a beach, all in one day. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost got this, like, otherworldly type, you know, feeling, because it is technically at the end of the earth. And so I was, uh, I was actually down there, I was in school, but had some time off, and I was traveling around uh, with some buddies. So we were driving through the South Island. So the South Island, I mean, you, if you go to the ocean, you know, it's like next stop Antarctica. 
I mean, you're down there, you know. And uh, so we were driving and, you know, hiking. And I was, I, look, I was pretty far from the Lord at that point, just full disclosure. However, the Lord was still in my heart, still a believer. And we were driving and uh, saw this little, uh, little church. I mean, like really small, tiny church. But it was on the, uh, the coast of a bay. So I was looking out in the bay, and it was a beautiful day, the sun. I was like, well, hey, I want to stop. I just want to see this church. And I don't know what it, well, I know what it was. The Holy Spirit was leading me there. It's like, I just want to see if the doors are open, and I'm going to go in. Just a beautiful setting. You know, again, felt, I remember it now, like it was like on another planet almost. And here's this church. And so we go in, and, you know, we go in that door, but what would be that the wall was, almost total glass, but not stained glass, so you could see out across the bay. And so light was flooding in, really small space. You walk in, full of light, and you just see the water. But it had an altar down here, and I went to the altar, and I had applied for seminary at this point. Again, still far from God. That's a whole other story. But I went and knelt and prayed, and, just, and I felt at home. I was at home. I don't know how to describe it. Again, end of the world, for me at least. I walked in there, got on the altar, bathed in sunlight. I just felt like home. For us, and and I know many of us here, uh, Christ lives in our heart. When Christ lives in our heart, no matter where we are, first, we're home. But also, when we get into a body of believers, where the Holy Spirit also dwells corporately and not just individually, we're home too. And so much of, of the world would say, well, you got to cry out to your spouse, which is true, or you got to cry out to a friend, which is true. But we're called as believers, cry out to God. Cry out to God. The Psalms show us of a man who cried out in, in the highest peaks and the lowest moments. He cried out to God. And God heard him. God answered him. Maybe not the way he wanted to be answered. Just like y'all would say, he doesn't answer me the way, the answer I want to hear. But he answers us. Who are our people? Christians. Uh, those of us who've, who've gone on mission trip. We don't even speak the language. It's like, this is, my, this, is my, this is my brother. This is my sister. This is my folks. This is my kinfolks. And it's our kinfolks. It's our kinfolks. As I prayed earlier, one day we'll all be together. One church. There is one church. Worshiping. Reconnecting. And that's beautiful, spectacular, it's glorious. And our home is in the Lord. These earthly dwellings, even the earthly dwelling of our body, Paul writes in Corinthians, will one day be gone. Our home is in the Lord. Now, uh, before we get into Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, uh, Jeremy over here is asking, like, what do you want to put on, uh, I guess, Facebook or social media about this talk? And I was thinking about it. And thinking about what we'll witness and be part of here in a minute, I said, you know, let's just throw a couple questions out. Who is God to you? Who is your God? To whom do you belong? I kind of said this, said this uh, in a different way. Who are your people? And then what is your destiny? See, the truth of the matter is all of us have in Jesus a wonderful, powerful destiny. And it's not just heaven. Although it includes heaven, it's this world too. And here, what we feel called to do at Bellwether, and what every church is really called to do, is help people see their destiny, that it begins and ends in Jesus. And he shows us the way, he brings us peace, he gives us power, and we're home. 
So who is, who is this God? Well, let's look into Scripture and what Scripture says. Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read verse 31 through 34, and then we'll jump to 2 Corinthians. Who is our God? What is this relationship that we have with Him? What, what do we see in church? What do we see in baptism? What is this deal? Jeremiah begins to tell us. It says, Behold, the days are coming, verse 31 declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new covenant for the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Who are your people? God's people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We'll stop there. Who is God? Well, first it says that our God is a covenantal God, that he is making a promise with us. Covenant literally means, we talked about this last week, a promise. He's saying, hey man, I'm, I'm in I'm, and I'm in all the way and our God does not break his promises. Well, what does this covenant mean? Or what does it have to, to do with us? Or what, what are the promises? Well, he lays them out here. One, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. You're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, We see this more in the New Testament. What he's talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart. So you literally know, sometimes you know right from wrong. Sometimes you hear God if you're asking, if you're calling out for Him. And you hear and see the direction where He wants you to go, the life He wants you to lead. This ever happened to anybody? A little thing called a conscience? Uh, If you're a Christian, God uses our conscience more so for just right and wrong, but to tell us, no, I don't go there. Uh, No, you you might even need to cancel that lunch today. You need to get prayed up before you try to heal that relationship. Uh, Go there. Go into that relationship. Move into that marriage if a spouse is astray. He says many things, multiple things, but we got to call out. Who do you call out to? Who do you call out to when the night is dark, when you don't think anybody's there, yet someone is very much there? Who do you call out to when there's a death and it feels like there's a bottomless pit that nothing will ever fill? Who do you call out to? God says, I will write it, his law. And I know a lot of us think law is like, well, That's a bad thing. We'll see in 2 Corinthians where it's a good thing. He'll write it on our hearts. I will be their God, and you all, we, will be his people. We're his people. We're God's people. He's our dad. He's a dad who will never leave or forsake us. And then, towards the end, and I love this, uh, all of us do as believers, because there's a lot that we want to forget, and we can't forget it. God says, not only will I forgive... I remember it no more, their sin. You know, a lot of folks talk about this. Well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I, you know, and the Bible doesn't say it like this, but 
the Bible does say God will forgive and remember no more. And I always like to say, you know, man, if you can't forget, I don't know if you're really forgiven because you're hanging on. You're hanging on to the pain. You're hanging on to the bitterness. Actually, you're allowing bitterness to fester and grow. And, and no, sometimes we can't get it out of our minds. However, however, God's word says, take your thoughts captive. You say, hey, bad thought coming in. We'll take it captive. And you do that more and more and over and over again, that thought won't come in. But God, we can know our Father. The way we lived, the way we were, what I did or what I thought this afternoon, repent, there's forgiveness, and He will remember it no more. That's why, as we're about to see with, with baptism, you know, the Holy Spirit washing forth a person's heart, and, and they're made new. New person, new life. Now, Paul fleshes this out even more in 2 Corinthians. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. First off, I want to read a couple verses, then we're going to stay in chapter 4 to the end of this talk. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 through 6. Listen to this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I read you these verses because, first off, a lot of folks struggle with, with confidence, number one. And I've seen a lot of Christians... Like, you know, new believers, they get excited, but they, they kind of think back on the way they lived, things they did. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the explicit sins. I mean, they could have just lived and tried to look pretty and lived in pride. And they're like, man, I can't, I can't really be like, you know, a missionary, or I can't be you know, like a minister, or I can't be like a leader for Christ. Paul says, we're all ministers. Look at this. You can have confidence... And he has made us competent to be ministers. Why? Because of Jesus. Because our sufficiency, he says, is not in us. In our strengths, how strong our mind is, or our willpower is, or we can just push through. You know, it's a hard day, it's a rough week. Just keep going. Just be dogged and determined. And many of us, and y'all know me, I mean, I've say this on Sunday mornings. I mean, one of my weaknesses, man, I'm going to push through, do it on my own strengths. Ask my wife. She's like, you know. And how many, how many of us are like that? Gospel said our sufficiency is not in ourselves. What we'll see in baptism is a person saying, it's not me. It's Jesus. He makes me new. Sufficiency is in God who makes us ministers. So, if you're here and if you have uh, accepted or received or been saved or had that moment, uh, even if you have not been baptized, which, by the way, we think you should be baptized, but that doesn't save you, as I told Lee earlier. She's already had the moment. I don't know when it was, but the moment her salvation has happened. But you're a minister. You're a minister. You may be like, hey, I didn't sign up for that gig. Hey, we got it. And it is a, a wonderful purpose. That doesn't mean you have to be like Mr. Pastor or Mr. Missionary or Reverend or whatever. It's like in your, your work as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, 
as an artist, as a doctor, as an attorney, as a husband, as a wife, as a your ministers of this, of this new covenant, which the new covenant is, you're forgiven, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and you're to live it out. Now, last thing, but I'm going to actually read probably through this whole chapter. You're like, uh-oh, you're going 20 more minutes. No, I'm not. But 2 Corinthians 4 has so much, and I want to highlight some things, because it ties to baptism, it ties to new life, it ties to what we have in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4. What do you have? I said we're all ministers. He picks up on this, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry that we have, you have a ministry. You may be here, you know, you're like, well, I just came here to celebrate a baptism. I think you're a minister. You're a minister of this covenant for the world, for your family. You're a minister. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Some of y'all here, I, I know at least one of you, uh, is on the brink of losing heart tonight. Don't listen to me. Listen to God's word. Do not lose heart. goes on, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. And there are those who are perishing right now. Hopefully not here. But if they are, praise God that you're here tonight. Because the God of this world, little g God, Satan, has blinded. How is a person blinded? By their pride. By their envy. By their lust. By their greed. By their idols of the white picket fence or the second home or the countless vacations that keep you void by the good times, by the booze, by the parties. Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. That it is not us. Amazing grace, we just saying about uh, Newton, forget his first name, top of my head, just went blank, but Newton wrote that. He's a slave master. He killed people. He had people in chains. Some drug off, slug off the ship. That was his life. And then he met Jesus. Then he became a pastor, a real minister in England. He wrote Amazing Grace. He says, not me or us, it is Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Keep going, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Some of y'all will be like, well, what's jars of clay? Isn't that a band? Uh, I think it is a band. Uh, me, no, not usually in climate. Jars of clay. It actually, in ancient time, ancient New Testament was written, that meant human weakness. So if, you say, if we have this treasure, look at this, in human weakness. We have this treasure in our weakness to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And God works most all through our weaknesses. It says we're afflicted in every way. Some of you may be afflicted. If you're not now, you have been or will be. You're not crushed, perplexed, driven to despair, persecuted, forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. If you're a Christian, two deaths are going on in your life right now. The first one is Jesus' death. You're like, but wait, he died on the cross. No, if you're going to be raised to life, the death of Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin. So the death of Jesus is going on in your heart to pay the price for your sin. And then also, we should be, and it's hard, putting sin to death. The second death. Putting sin to death. Over and over, daily. It's hard. It's tough. It's why you need the church. It's why our people should be brothers and sisters of Christ. People saying, hey, i got to put this sin to death. Help me. No, it's coming back. This addiction. This thought. I can't take it captive. I need help. Pray for me. Two deaths going on. One for your salvation. The other one for our daily, what we call sanctification. Growth in Christ. Walk in Him. Two deaths going on in our lives when we are Christians. And then, closing out, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Why are we praising God for Lee's baptism? She's publicly saying, and she's going to say, I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Two important words. Believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. Chris and I we're talking today, and not knowing I was going to throw this in, but you know, you can't have a believer's baptism without belief. You've got to believe. She's already believed. Now she's saying it. She's saying it, praise God, in front of friends and family. And then last, it's interesting, Paul closes this chapter the same words, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Verse 1. We do not lose heart. Verse 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight, oh, that word slight, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. In a baptism, we literally see what the Holy Spirit's doing, dying to self, coming forward in new life. Praise God. And we can know, we can believe in that faith that even though, and I know it's hard for some of us, that as this body is decaying, I know Ryan and Kyle, we talked about it earlier, y'all aren't, y'all aren't hit that peak yet, they're still going up, a young couple back there. But some of us, me, I mean, we're, we're headed down, so we're going, to, we're decaying, I'm decaying, that. It's a slight momentary affliction for the glory that we will see and have and the glory of a new body, a resurrected body, when Jesus returns. Praise God. So I want to end with how I started. Who do you cry out for? Who's your people? Where's home? Because Paul's really saying the same thing in this chapter. He's saying, what is seen is really not real crying out for those who uh, one day may not be there in our darkness. Uh, The people that we thought we come from, our our heritage, our our brothers and sisters, our our home that we see, my little ridge up on that hill, 
my family's lake house, 2311, very nice, not real for eternity. And then he says, what is unseen is what's real right now. You may not see God, but he's there. He's here. You may not feel like you see your people, but they're here, brothers and sisters. You may not see your home, but you certainly, praise God, have it right now. So, I don't know where you are this week. I don't know where you are in your life. Probably calling out for somebody that you shouldn't. Probably thinking about your people as folks who really may not be your people. And thinking of home in a different way. Cry out to God. Know you have a people here. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Your home is in Jesus. And we want him to live in you. So as we sing first and then we witness the baptism, I want to invite you, we always do this, I mean, if you have not had that moment that Lee had, you can have it in a moment. You're like, well, how do I have that moment? You say, God, I believe the promises that you spoke about in the Old Testament and New Testament. Forgive me. It's called repentance. And then you say, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you will lead me in my work, in my relationships, in my marriage. I don't know how that's going to play out, but I repent and I trust in you. And you've had the moment. And we're going to celebrate a moment here, but let's pray together and then worship together. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. See it all through scripture. Thank you for our family. Uh, family that we don't even see, that we don't even know. Um, family that's been praying for Lee. Family that's here now. And I don't mean John, even though we love him. Or her kids, just the, the family of Christ. Thank you that we have that. Thank you that we... Most of all, as human beings who just all want to get home, it's right here. The power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for calling us home. Thank you for knocking on the door. Pray people would open it. And I give thanks for those who already have. And thanks for the life that we'll see in baptism. Most all, the life of Jesus in this baptism. His name we pray. Amen.